Robert Merdlanchi of the Mindshare Learning Report, and welcome to this special edition of Mindshare TV Live Innovators podcast series, episode number four, featuring co-author Kathy Hurley with special guests Silver McDonald and Jane Kubasik. Uh, thank you uh, very much for joining us today. Uh, Kathy Hurley um, is in the house. Kathy is my former vice president at the learning company, Mr. Wonderful. So <laughs> and uh, we're hosting this very wonderful uh, series to really uh, dig deeper and explore why purpose-driven women, entrepreneurial women rise to the top. With that, Kathy Hurley, I'm gonna pass the baton over to you to introduce our special guests who appear in the book and uh, Perhaps you can share a little bit about the inspiration on the book first. Yeah, well, thank you for you talking about our tagline. It's called Innovate Hers, Why Purpose-Driven Entrepreneurial Women Rise to the Top. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about the book, but I have two very special women with me today who I think represent <clears throat> totally this book. Uh, and I'm anxious to have you hear from them. And I will introduce them and then have them talk a little bit about uh, their background also. But I did want to mention um, my background is I retired after 50 years of being in the publishing industry. That says enough. Um, and I'm doing some work with uh, some nonprofit groups and uh, uh, finished writing the book, which took a big chunk of two years uh, to do. And I'm happy, happy that it turned out the way it did, but happy that it's finished. <laughs> I was so happy to have a co-author, uh, Bobby Kershan. Uh, who many of you may know because she's done a lot of research, uh, written a lot of books, more of the scholarly kind of books, research books. So she really wanted to do something that was more in the consumer area. We talked about what was really needed. We both uh, work with a lot of uh, women's groups. We have a lot of uh, female friends and we do believe that women are really uh, are the epitome of um, entrepreneurs. And Bobby had done some work at Penn State where she worked with the entrepreneurial mindset. So the book is based in research. What we did is we looked at all the skills and traits that people need to be entrepreneurs. And we interviewed 29 women from all over the world. We have um, young women, old women, we have uh, ethnic women. <laughs> we have uh, a great um, variety from every continent. Um, so it's been uh, terrific um, having these people to come on to Robert's podcast. And I really want to thank Robert for for doing this over a year's period of time. It's pretty exciting. My my pleasure. And it, we're amongst legends in in the industry. So I'm really fascinated to to learn more about the the history and the inspiration. Uh, yeah, and you know, we didn't set out to have uh, people uh, who were in education. That was not what we wanted, but. It seems that everybody has education in their background. It seems to be that kind of drives the whole purpose. And when you you know hear these stories, you see how that really does resonate. Uh, I'm not going to go over um, you know each of the skills and traits, but I'm hoping the speakers uh, will um, will mention some of the traits or some of the skills that they have. And then for today's um, session, we're going to ask them some questions about uh, what we call inhibitors, what kind of can stand in your way um, of uh, being an entrepreneur. So uh, I want to introduce uh, Jane Kabasic, who I had the pleasure of being on her board. 
and it was a um, 114th uh, partnership. They developed the Spark 101 STEM skills videos. And she can maybe tell you how, how you can see those videos because they're really amazing videos. They take place in corporate America where they show these are the jobs that kids are going to be doing. And this is why they really need to do um, their math programs, their science programs, so that they can handle these jobs. And they are still, they're just going to live forever, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so Jane will talk a little bit about that. And then Silver McDonald's, who's another person I've had the pleasure of working with through many companies. Mm -hmm. Now, as a consultant, we were colleagues at uh, Pearson. Um, but she has had an incredible background. And uh, she's now with a company called Hazel Health. Uh, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Hope I have that right. I think you do. Pretty close. <laughs> You're one of those people that you juggle everything. Uh, so, um, so I, I want to uh, welcome both of you. Um, so I, I'm going to get started. I'm not going to go in any particular order. We'll go back and forth. I think Robert has some questions too. Um, he's going to ask you. And uh, if um, at any time you want to jump in on the other person's conversation, if you've looked at some of these, we have done that a lot where someone mm -hmm. will say, I have no confidence and someone else will say, well, I'm very confident, you know, uh, <laughs> and um, at the end, I may uh, mention some of the, the things we found uh, from the book that I think you would find uh, uh, to be interesting. Um, and then we'll end it up. And that's enough of me talking. So I'm going to turn it over to Jane and say, Jane, what were some of the skills and traits maybe that you thought you had as becoming an entrepreneur? Maybe give a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you've done in the past. Um, well, I think I'll just start with a, with a context statement and kind of pull into the, uh, to the direct question. Uh, my father was born in rural Virginia, dropped out of high school, lied about his age to join the Air Force, and then met my mother, married her as a high school senior um, herself, and then they took off um, to all of his postings around the world. And they just moved constantly, you know, had four kids. Um, we went from living in boarding houses to trailer parks to apartments and then finally a home. Um, so the journey to get somewhere kind of builds a certain level of perspective, point of view, skills um, in a little bit different ways, I think, in terms of like figuring out how your, is it persistence? You know, when you talk about the skills that you've talked about and uh, identified in the book, I went back and forth on which of the skills were most relevant to me, which is kind of an interesting dialogue. But ultimately, I got into this into this field by starting out as an accounting major in college. And so I was in college, uh, went to the board job board, saw that they were hiring accountants. I had a lot of student debt. I was getting more student debt by the day and decided that accounting is accounting is for me because it pays the bills. There were some great things about accounting. And I really like the idea of changing teams, changing locations, learning about different business ideas. But it was kind of demanding, you know, it's 100 hour weeks, made it difficult to raise a family, um, lots of complications in that. It wasn't particularly friendly to women at the time when I was one of the first waves of hiring of women uh, in the industry, but then moved over to staying at home with my family, uh, volunteered at schools, and I got tapped to join the school strategic planning committee and then realized that, wow, I actually I actually know some things that could be helpful here. Uh, ended up running a local nonprofit for a while. Um, I met Kathy at that stage, and that was right when we were about to become a national nonprofit. And that, as she mentioned earlier, is the 114th partnership that worked on the collaboration opportunities between education and the employment community. So oh, that's did I great. miss in that? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you, I think you, you really hit it all. That's great. Um, <laughs> Silver, um, do you want to give a little bit about your background and kind of how you ended up here? Absolutely. Thank you, Kathy. And thank you, Robert, for having us. Um, and reading a Jane's story as well, there was a lot of commonality, a lot of movement and transition um, in early childhood, a lot of tenacity and persistence. Um, and Jane and I were talking before the show started about, I also changed my college major in part <laughs> to align to something that I thought would be more widely available in the mainstream. Um, I grew up um, on Kauai, so in the Hawaiian islands and moved to the mainland when I was um, 16. Uh, after college, my, my whole track was pretty much with startups. So my first startup was a company that was called Alpha Online for just a couple of months. And then we were acquired by Razorfish, which is one of the early media companies taking uh, organizations online. Uh, 60 Minutes did an episode on us called the dot-com kids. That's how early on it was. <laughs> um, and so really jumped into a really dynamic, amazing early career that we grew to be over 2000 in a couple of years, a big global IPO, a lot of great collaboration, a lot of autonomy, um, just given first roles out of college and a lot of pride in what we were doing. Um, and so that was super immersive and fun and really fulfilling for a long time. And then I realized I was getting a little bit burnt out and my whole family has been in education my entire life. My grandmother was a teacher in San Diego for 30 years. My mom was a special ed teacher. And so wanted to marry the two. And that's how I started on the career track with ed tech specifically. Well, and you've had a, a quite varied career with some of the companies you've worked with. And you've had some uh, pretty exciting, exciting jobs. I so um, a lot of fun. what are the skills or traits would you pick out that really jumped out at you? I think um, fostering relationships and collaboration, being able to build teams and build consensus, but also really push for the North Star of where we need to go as an organization. And I do think bringing a lot of um, tenacity to the table and just rolling up my sleeves. I, I'm, I'm one who is with your team when you're getting things done, whether it's getting an RFP out you know, after hours or something that's more glamorous, but really making sure that you're in there with your team, shepherding them along and getting everyone to the end goal. Interesting. Um, Jane, what, what uh, traits and skills do you think that really helped you? I would say I would struggle a lot with deciding between the ideation, coming up with ideas when you're stuck um, versus persistence. Um, I think those skills are really important. Um, I think I landed on ideation as more important than persistence because persistence for me meant that you might not give up um, give up the fight for something and realizing that you needed to change a little bit, especially when you're working in the collaborative space. We weren't the, we weren't the experts. We were merely the facilitators. So we had to respect that we had, um, you know, business people that had certain points of view, perspectives about how they thought they should be involved in education. Um, and there were educators who certainly had their own point of view about where they thought business could be helpful um, in the world of education. And those two groups were, you know, quite significantly opposed. Um, I think it's something like 95% of educators thought businesses should uh, focus on donating money and giving them equipment. And 85% of the business people felt that they should be donating pro bono services uh, and volunteering um, in classrooms. So it's very different. So, um, so I think a lot of the skills had to really had to be of like listening, understanding, really understanding the context in which these two organizations or entities were, were coming from, um, and then kind of find this common ground for them. And I think one of the breakthroughs we had in that was dealing with the teachers unions uh, in Montgomery County Public Schools. They were 
they were always not necessarily open to the idea of working with the business community, um, but we realized that by pointing out that they hire graduates as well, you know, they want to have people that arrive as teachers in the school or as working in the facilities, people that are competent, people that are have the ability to continue learning, people that are enthusiastic about their jobs. Um, and we kind of struck a chord there and kind of, I mean, as long as we stayed in our lane, we actually had a pretty good run. <laughs> Kathy, um, perhaps I'll jump in. Oh, sorry, you go ahead, Kathy. I was going to say, both of these people would be very good keynote speakers for your meeting. I think so. I think so. They're very, very, in, very interesting people. Fascinating. Uh -huh. And uh, one of, uh, well, we're thinking of going back to Montreal, Kathy, because uh, they treat us so well at McGill and everyone loves Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, one of the uh, themes that emerged uh, at our summit was the notion of the growth mindset. And one of the professors talked about the growth mindset as a skill. Silver, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll direct this question to you for starters. Talk to me about, you know, uh, your, 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 your career trajectory clearly demonstrates a growth mindset. Is that n nurtured uh, or nature or nurture? It, can you hone that mm -hmm. as a skill? Talk to me about that. I think it definitely, there's definitely a nature piece to it. And I think it's the people you surround yourself with later on. Um, Kathy Hurley specifically has absolutely been a mentor and helped me to make some bigger leaps than I planned to at times. And so um, I started off with SchoolNet, which was, we were a small startup out of New York, which primarily worked with large urbans. We grew on to be, it was kind of the first um, LMS in a way, and then it grew to be quite a bit more over time. And we had a really strong trajectory. Um, and I started off leading client services and then they asked me to run sales. And I was like, who would ever want to run sales in ed tech? You must be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember getting their call, I was at Classic Kellogg. Um, but I did take it on and I totally changed our sales team and I changed our approach. And we were extremely successful and acquired by Pearson shortly after. And when I got to Pearson, every single person I met said, you have to meet Kathy Hurley. And it turned out that I was taking on a course um, <laughs> and we became instant friends. They actually asked me to take on a team that she had been leading previously. So all the stuff I was working on, she gave me a bunch of resources. Um, and from Pearson, there was another engagement. And then I was approached about like to be the head of the U.S. for Lego education. And Kathy was one of the first people I called to take uh, to have that conversation as well. And she's like, of course, you're going to do it and you'll figure it out. And so um Lego Education was a really different company when I got there. It was it was classroom to classroom engagement, um, and we really wanted to grow bigger and faster and become much more of a true education company. So we started to engage with our districts grade level wide and cross cross grade level wide to have the scaffolding curriculum and really built out the content side of what we were doing as well. So it was heavily education informed and. The types of growth that we had are completely different from when I had originally started with the company. District Sauce is a really great aligned partner. Um, and we did a lot of internal work of eliminating roles that had previously existed and adding new roles that aligned to where we were headed in the future. Um, and the most currently I'm with Hazel Health, which I absolutely love. And Kathy's one of our partners. And it is completely dismantling any barriers to access to care for children across physical and mental health through telehealth. And amazing. so it's, it's amazing. And so all these amazing districts are coming on, including my home state of Hawaii. Um, and we are, the stories are absolutely incredible and it's so needed in meeting this incredible mental health crisis. But for a lot of our families, they don't even have support on the physical health side. And we work with school districts all across the country and it's incredibly rewarding. And I think we were 30 people when I started about two years ago and now we're over 300 and growing like crazy. 
Well, well-being is at uh, a crisis level right now in education. And, Absolutely. Uh, and so kudos to you for the impact that you're making. Jane, talk to me about the growth mindset and how that uh, skill, if you will, uh, helped you in, in your journey uh, to where you are today. Yeah, I, I think that... Um you know, and, it, and mentorship it, it, as well, I guess you could add oh, that to the equation. Yeah. Well, if, I think it's challenging. You know, anytime you're starting something new, all of us started at the entrepreneurship theme of the book is that whether it was within an organization or starting a new organization, we all had to, to start somewhere. And typically when you're starting something, you make a lot of mistakes along the way. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the growth mindset, it's thinking that it wasn't we weren't wrong. We weren't we just needed to keep learning. And so when, and if that's something we were wrong, we would stop and say, okay, well, what, what did we learn from that? And even when things went right. So whenever we debriefed after something, we would stop and say, okay, so what, so what did we commit? Where did we fall short? Where did we succeed? What are we learning? And what are we going to do next? And it get, kind of created this culture where it was fine to talk about what didn't go well, because it's just meant as long as we were learning from it, it was fine. And Kathy was always really helpful with that because she asked really good questions. Um, and she was, she was never judgmental uh, in terms of you could have a bad day, you could have a bad month, you could have a bad year here and there along the way. But she was always positive that we would figure it out. And I think that that confidence that people like Kathy give you and mentors kind of that get you mm -hmm. back in the ring and your team needs you to be confident, your team needs you to find a solution um, was really important. So I think all of those things fa factor into that. And I think also that... Um, you know, something like wisdom comes from making a lot of mistakes and figuring it out. I think if everything goes really well for you, you probably aren't a very wise person. So when I give advice, it's like, well, because I did these 18 things wrong, let me give you this piece of advice about how you could get faster from point A to point B than I did. <laughs> That's right. Well, you did. I mean, you went from really being in the non in the for-profit world to the non-profit world and then starting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about starting the small, really non-profit in Montgomery County to making it an international national uh, program. Um, how did, how do you feel? Because you kind of, you know, you always say that you're someone that you think you're risk adverse. So how did you get the <laughs> skills to I'd really say... do that uh, to achieve purpose-driven goals? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the big idea was that we were, we found something that worked in this small nonprofit. We found that um, if business focused on these two areas where schools were really, you know, open to receiving, um, working in partnership and building trust with each other, then we had, we had an opportunity to build something. Um, and the first one of those was this kind of management consultancy. Uh, we worked with Harvard Business School um, and they would uh, provide us with different case studies. Some, uh, there was also the Harvard Education Project. I'm not quite sure if that's still um, around or not, but the school district we were working with at the time was involved in that. So they were used to the case study concept, but I thought it was a miss that they had isolated the educators into their own program. They weren't part of the broader Harvard business education program, but we would take those same cases and sometimes different ones and put them in a room with people from, you know, Marriott and Lockheed Martin and United Healthcare. And uh, let's see who else might've been in that group, Clark Construction, um, I could go on Deloitte, uh, Booz Allen, Hamilton, some really like, you know, very strong, you know, national and international brands of people who 
uh, when you start putting out these challenges and having this case study format, all of a sudden people realized that they were kind of all equal as managers and leaders in their organizations. And they faced a lot of the same challenges. If you weren't the frontline employee, you were really someone who was trying to help the frontline employee do their job better. Uh, and so that really kind of broke the ice and started to build some trust because people became vulnerable in these sessions. And then that led the way to doing some of these broader projects. So we could actually scope out a project on onboarding for HR or look at goal setting around college and career readiness or look at ideas around reverse engineering of college readiness uh, into the earlier grades. Um, and the flip side of that, the second area where uh, educators felt business could be helpful was in this concept of you know, connecting what students were learning in their academic courses to careers. This idea of increasing student motivation to engage in the coursework and to, and to consider more advanced coursework and a topic was an area that we played with. Our primary product in that area was something called the Young Professionals Conference. And so we brought a couple hundred students to our college campus and businesses showed up with a real problem. So uh, a foundation showed up with a grant and the kids had to evaluate the different proposals um, and determine which organization was receiving the grant. Uh, one of the banks, it was M&T Bank at the time, showed up with an application for a loan and the students had to make determine a determination as to whether that loan was viable. Um, and they would, they employer would then kind of tell what happened after uh, with that particular problem. But the idea was they were taking on a problem just like they would in the workplace. And everybody was super engaged. The employers were engaged. The teachers were enthusiastic because the kids loved it. Um, they started to see where they could go with the skills they were acquiring. And then Harvard wrote a, uh, a case study about our organization in 2009. And they also published a book called Leading for Equity. It was primarily about Montgomery County Public Schools and the superintendent at the time, Dr. Jerry Wiest. And the book was really about the, the efforts of the entire school system of which we were just one of many partners uh, in that effort. But then people started reaching out and saying, well, can you help us? You know, how do you do it? How do you get, how do you get them to the table? How do you get, how do, how do you guys listen to each other? How do you, how do you get these projects? Or how do you get, um, you know, employers, you know, engaging in this type of way. And so that was when we had to step back and we couldn't be the really longly titled Montgomery County Business Roundtable for Education when there are actually several Montgomery counties even in the US. So we switched to this concept of the 114th partnership because the 114th meridian is the beginning of the great continental divide. And we decided mm -hmm. we'd be the place where we could bridge the divide between these two sectors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did uh, think of you yesterday. I was at a meeting and they had somebody who was uh, probably the best known person in automotronics, is it? Um, and they were showing how schools are picking that up and taking it in and kids are making these just mm -hmm. unbelievable mm -hmm. devices and learning about math and science. And I'm like, oh, James yeah. was doing that many years ago. <laughs> exactly. Well, we couldn't really take a, con a conference, didn't scale, right? And, yeah. and you're talking about providing access. We really kept coming back to this idea of equity. You know, we were living in the DC area. Uh, we had access to all these great employers. We had access to a college campus. And is it is it really fair if you're living in a rural area, but you might be inspired by something you know that is a job that's not necessarily in your area um, so we decided to go virtual and so we did a bunch of research on looking at how what motivates a young person an adolescent mm -hmm. in particular uh, 
to engage in difficult coursework. And a lot of it came down to this, this concept of building a, cer a certain identity um, around being successful in this career. So it started with motivation. Um, you had to you relate it to something of interest to the young person. So you had to have a purpose up front. Then you had to give them a real problem to solve and you needed to be specific about how you would gain entry into that career. And we turned those into these 10 minute interactive videos that were free. Um, broadly available, and they covered a wide range of careers. And so the teacher could use them to uh, create a lesson plan. Of course, we had some samples. It was all built with teachers. Um, teachers were in the room as the content was designed. Teachers created the materials. Uh, former teachers were working on the production team. I mean, it just, it just made it all work because it was designed for them. And that's the well, product today. As I was thinking about and um, also Silver, also it's gone from working from a, a very well-known ed tech company, really a tech company, to Pearson, who was really more of a publishing company and an ed, ed tech company, to Brightbytes, which was doing a whole lot of uh, um, things on data, and then to Lego, which was math <laughs> and science, and then to go to health. So, I mean, you really made a lot of those changes um, yourself. So what, what do you think has kind of driven you to, or to be successful in all these different careers? One, I'm a really curious person. I just like to learn new things. And then two, I think I moved towards each one really purposely. Um, and many of them were introduced through previous coworkers. So Lego Education mm -hmm. came through one of our coworkers from Pearson out of London as an example. Um, but I, really like what each one stood for. So with Lego, I was actually really drawn to the fact that they're one of the number one sustainability companies in the world. And I have gone through sustainability certification and whatnot and wanted really like the aspiration of the brand, but also really like the fact that we could actually bring it to all children through the school system because many children will never have the opportunity to engage with Lego, even though many children want to because it's such a great brand. And I like that it could bring out this like inner, you know, engineer or scientist who may never have known that that was in their skill set. Um, and then with Hazel Health, I love the fact that it was dismantling, you have to be present in body and mind in order to learn in order to thrive in order to learn what your other skills are and what you want to go into career wise or vocation wise. And um, so I really love the fact that when I'm in my all hands meeting, we have doctors, we have nurses, we have therapists, we have teachers, we have engineers, and it's such an interesting mash of people and profiles that are all there for really strong reasons. And we really emphasize diversity. So our therapists, for example, are over 60% people of color, and we really mirror our student populations. So we have a high connectivity on the connection and completion rate um, around our mental health and physical health services. And similar to Jane's work in a way, many of our children have never seen a therapist who looks like them, let's say from an ethnicity perspective. And so it can also be aspirational for them to see somebody in those roles, supporting mm -hmm. them and helping to resolve something that's core for them or for their family. Robert, do you have a question? Yes, uh, I do. After participating in this book project, what did you learn about yourself as you began to share your story? Uh, did you discover something new and about yourself after taking the EMP profile? Uh, I'll uh, start with you, Jane. Uh, I think it reminded me, you know, I stepped out of it, or the nonprofit I was working with uh, uh, merged with another nonprofit. The assets were acquired by, another, by a Learning Undefeated. So I've been kind of figuring out what I want to do next, mainly, you know, doing some one-off mentoring of young people. But I realized that I, hasn't, I hadn't really... Um, 
codified what I'd learned. You know, he talked about this growth mindset, about learning from mistakes and, and also learning from successes. And so it, when Kathy reached out and asked if I participate, you know, I thought that was actually, it's going to force me to reflect um, about, you know, how I got to where I am. Um, and then, you know, somebody else who's starting nonprofits, I actually I coach a lot of people who are starting nonprofits. Um, but it still reminds me to go go back to like that passion element, and I'm using some of the language with them um, around helping them identify: do they have the passion to work through the, the problems in this? Otherwise, it's it's a pretty tough haul because you the whole curve is slow. <laughs> Silver, over to you. Uh, how did this book project impact uh, your self discovery? Absolutely. One, well, Bobby and Kathy were so fun and engaging in the interview process that I shared a lot more of my personal story than I ever had before. <laughs> and so that I think Jane had the same experience. Um, yeah. And so that alone was um, eye opening to me because so many people have reached out about that part of it. And then I also feel like um, similar to what Jane said, when you're passionate about something, it becomes a refueling mechanism if you can incorporate it into your work or into your you know, side projects or whatever it is. And so when you're doing something that you're really passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. And it's actually like refueling and energizing, which helps you in both your personal and professional life. Um, but I think the interview process for the book was right before COVID too. And I I'd resigned from Lego shortly after, partly just because of the travel schedule. And it was the first time there was a couple of years of like stillness to some extent. And just really emphasize the importance of balance and incorporating both the passion and the kind of steady states into all facets of your life um, and not getting so much of my reward from the pure work side, which has definitely been my primary source of like motivation for a long time. So it was a really good reflection point for me overall. Fascinating. Thank you for that. Uh, over to you, Kathy. I think both of you have a really good work-life balance and that you're both pretty intense workers and really committed mm -hmm. to your careers, but you do, you know, find family time and you also um, travel and, mm -hmm. you know, you keep yourself very interesting, which I, I do, you know, like about both of you. Um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just mention a couple things that we learned and I'd love for you to comment on, you know, how you relate to this. Um, because these are kind of some of the findings we got. Um, the first one, and actually Jane referred to it, um, is that women are risk takers, but they're calculated risk takers. Um, and I think you mentioned that when you had your family, you had to think about, you know, women have other, other things they have to think about before they take a risk. And I think that came out. Any comments about that? Yes, I think, um, you know, you have to figure out you know, you have to decide where are you going to put your time and effort? Um, what else you're responsible for? So it's a portfolio of risk, I like to think of it as, right? So you've got some things that are high risk, high reward, some things that are low risk, high reward, some things that are low risk and, but un unfortunately, mm -hmm. low reward. <laughs> so you do have to <laughs> kind of think through uh, what's going to happen. And I think, um, you know, I came up with some ways even, even, in my professional side of uh, helping people manage risk, like I didn't being able to name it, <clears throat> coming up with how likely it is to occur, thinking about how do you mitigate risk and making it part of a conversation um, and made it less scary. We weren't internalizing it. And I think people like people, the staff people and our board members always liked the idea that we weren't afraid to talk about where we could fail. Interesting. When you've well, you've gone from one coast to the other, kind of overnight with jobs, uh, you had to put a lot of money into that, I'm sure. So, um, what would you say? You know, I think 
my first thought when you were talking is I don't, I think I've run towards risk probably more than I potentially <laughs> should, you know, like big risk, big reward. And also things where I got a lot of enjoyment out of it because of the travel component or something else. I, I didn't have the, um, the challenge of deciding between that and, you know, a family life at home. I really pursued mostly the, the career side of it to the detriment of the personal side at times. And so now I feel like it's the first time I'm taking the time to step back and rebuild more of like the home and the foundation and that side of my life, to be oh, honest. Interesting. That's so this was, this, and, and, yeah, this is always an interesting one. And I know Robert, we, we've you know heard um, some things about that, but um, it's women have a high self-confidence, but many of them said they had imposter syndrome. Sometimes. Have you ever had imposter syndrome? I mean, it, it's not everybody, but that has come up. Definitely. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you, you, well, I think. You, you um, all seem so confident. <laughs> well, I, well, part of it is that, you know, you can feel, sometimes you can feel successful in a nonprofit setting, and then you would bump into this business person who kind of was dismissive over working in either the education sector or the nonprofit sector. You know, it doesn't count, quote, the same way, um, which kind of like hits, hits a little bit of an edge sometimes. Um, but it's also a lot harder to be successful in some of these places. So I would remind myself if, if any of these people that were transplanted into these environments were probably not successful. Um, lots of stories about former generals trying to run school systems, right? It just doesn't really work that way. It's it's really much more so we were saying earlier. I mean, so much in the nonprofit world and in, and in the um, education world for many years, that was where the most of the collaboration had to take place by nature, you couldn't, you didn't have positional power. You were trying to influence in different ways. And now I think a lot of those collaboration skills have migrated over into the business sector. I think companies are much more collaborative now in terms of coming up with, um, you know, product services, ideas. They realize you don't have positional power doesn't get you very far. It gets you fast, but it doesn't get you far. Mm -hmm. Any comments yeah. on that? I've absolutely had imposter syndrome without a doubt at many phases. It's also nice to look back even five or 10 years and just know how much you can say things with a firsthand knowledge now based upon the challenges that we have all managed ourselves or our teams or our organizations through. Um, but Lego education was one where I was, I literally talked to Kathy multiple times during that interview process. <laughs> and she was like, of course you're going to say yes. She's like, men always say they can do it and they're not any more qualified than you are. You're going to do it. <laughs> And I, and I did it and it being like one of, you know, a fantastic part of my um, career. So uh, I think women, I have to assume men struggle with imposter syndrome too, but I think women are more open mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. You have a question, Robert? Final thoughts to share with uh, any aspiring uh, young women entrepreneurs like my daughter. Uh, she's in the cybersecurity space right now, just starting mm -hmm. her career that uh, might serve them well. Um, you know, it's not a direct path. You know, we all clearly demonstrate that. Mm -hmm. And uh, any advice, any nuggets of advice for, uh, you know, the young people in their 20s and um, how they might pursue uh, and, and optimize their entrepreneurial uh, career path? One thing I would really recommend, and I, um, I spoke at Philadelphia Public Schools, it was a couple of years ago, but managing your network purposely. So making sure you mm. are a great you know, peer and collaborator and stay in touch with people, stay in touch with the people that you want to be mentors to you, stay in touch with people who may be 
further behind than you in the career path, but that you can be a mentor or connector. Like I love connecting people across industries and roles and I'm a good matchmaker too. (laughs) I think it's all related, but um, really managing your network in a purposeful and thoughtful way. It just, it grows and amplifies over time and the types of connections and opportunities that I've been introduced to or been able to help other people um, really can be completely transformative for the trajectory of a career or an individual life. So I think that's something that deserves careful thought. Well said, Silver. Jane. I would absolutely agree with that. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, we kind of coined these three M's, you know, there's mastery over whatever content, you know, that, you know, there's motivation, which is, you know, kind of why you want to do something. But this concept of mobility, like how you actually get access to a field, how you know if you're doing well, how do you change fields? How do you understand the culture Mm -hmm. of the work environment? They all come from your network. And I don't think there's Mm -hmm. enough attention paid to that in terms of helping somebody, how they define themselves, how they present, how they, how they, um, identify who good network connections are. You know, there's a difference between somebody you know, somebody who's your mentor, somebody who's your coach, somebody who's your sponsor. Um, mm-hmm. But really taking advantage of of people you're introduced to to stay in touch with them and to give back as well mm-hmm. um, what you learn along the way. It really does build a lot of long-lasting trusting relationships. That's why all of us will pick up the phone when Kathy calls. Mentoring came out really high, mm-hmm. you know, people. And of course, you know, I'm the oldest of the group. So I, I had a tendency to have, I think, a lot of men mentors because there were not a lot of women. But I have to say, having a woman at Pearson who is a real mentor for me was really an incredible opportunity. You know, I remember when I asked her to write the forward in the other book that I did, uh, someone said, how did you get Marjorie Scardino to write the forward? I said, I asked her. You know, people are afraid to do that kind of thing. But um, so how do you feel about mentoring? And mentoring, paying it forward. And I think you both touched on that, that you were doing a lot of that, you know, paying it forward. Mm -hmm. Silver, you want to go first? Yeah, it's something that I try to be really purposeful on and I really, really enjoy. And so whether it's formal or informal mentoring, um, it's something that I try to incorporate across the board. And I'm also really grateful for the people who have been mentors for me. And I've also had good male mentors too. So I feel like I've been really lucky in that space and I'm definitely intentional about it. Jane? Yes. You know, I kind of crossing the, since I'm out of the professional roles right now, I'm really more kind of people reach out or I'm reaching out and catching up with people and we find an opportunity to give, you know, Silver was saying there, there's the informal moment to share a Mm -hmm. nugget of wisdom, you know, reference my earlier definition of wisdom. Um, But then as well, there are a lot of young people that I'm finding that from all economic walks that really are lost. You know, they don't, they don't like their job. They don't know what they want to do. And there's still really, there's really such a disconnect in this area between helping a young person identify and name what motivates them, um, Mm -hmm. where they go, what to get the right credentials. um, And then how do they navigate, you know, through these fields? And just you know, one-on-one, doing that one-on-one instead of at scale, I'm actually finding quite rewarding right now. It's <laughs> great. Well, just two other things I'll make it quick, Robert, is that we found out. One um, was um, 
women score high on interpersonal sensitivity, empathy, which wouldn't surprise you, which mm -hmm. leads to better retention of teams, but they also can fire people better. <laughs> she thought that was interesting <laughs> because they're more sensitive to just saying we're reorganizing you, where your, your job is gone to saying, I, I'll help you find something else. This just wasn't a good fit, you know? So that was kind of interesting. And the other thing we found out that mothers um, where fathers were more, more um, in there with leadership, that mothers, they always said kind of taught them how to be entrepreneurs because mothers could juggle so much. Mm -hmm. And they watched them do the, you know, the PTA, the church, the, the family, the wife, the whole thing that that. And so that was kind of a, an interesting thing. So um, we did. Um, and I just want to put a plug in for the resources we, we show uh, in the newsletter that we get. Um, that every month we we show we list the podcasts that we've done and we list new books that are out and we have stories if you know anybody that you think represents a really good woman mm -hmm. entrepreneur tell the story we'll we'll uh, put it in and uh, we've been so happy to have people like you to be supporting this and the book's doing really well <laughs> Great. Right here i have a copy and can i say something kathy men have a lot to learn from reading this book there's some great golden nuggets well, right. you're like one of our biggest fans. This is great, Robert. You're a good man. I knew that when you worked I, for me. <laughs> I, the growth mindset is something I embraced in this case, mm -hmm. especially. And uh, you've all been an inspiration today and, uh, and to many uh, people that you've mentored over time. Each of you exhibit uh, that growth mindset and entrepreneurial spirit. So thank you for joining us today, Jane Silver. And Kathy is uh, my co-host today. And this is great. Thank you for having us. And I look forward to talking, keeping in touch with all of you. Thank you so much. Thank Take you. Uh -huh. That concludes this special edition of the Mindshare TV Live Innovators podcast series, episode number four. Uh, be sure to check out innovators.org to learn more and mindsharelearning.com to get your latest issue of our report. And then until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep.